2: Welcome to the Cynical Podcast, the weekly discussion of current affairs in China, produced in partnership with SupChina. SupChina is simply the best way there is to keep on top of all the important news coming out of China with our indispensable daily newsletter, website, and growing range of podcasts and videos. It's a feast of business, political, and cultural news about a nation that is reshaping the world. I'm Kaiser Guo, coming to you today from Seneca's temporary studio in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I am delighted to welcome Bohan Phoenix, a super talented rapper who straddles the worlds of Chinese and American hip-hop and has accomplished the rare feat of making a name for himself in both of these markets, often rapping bilingually and often about, you know, being of two worlds and, and of neither, something that I have some experience with myself. So uh, back before the world changed, Bohan was flying back and forth between New York and the city that he's adopted it is as his kind of Chinese home, uh, a city that happens also to be the rap capital of China, Chengdu in Sichuan province. So Bohan, man, it's an honor. Welcome to Seneca.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Kaiser.
2: Yeah, it's great, man. Hell yeah. I'm also joined by Allison Toy, who, as it happens, is Bohan's manager, but also definitely an artist in her own right, somebody who has deep experience in the music business with a focus on artists who cross the Pacific in one direction or another. She also lived in China for a good stint until 2018. Uh, Allison joins us from San Francisco. Allison, great to have you on. Thanks for having me, man. All right. So, so Bohan, Allison, first of all, Yo. tell me how it is in lockdown. I mean, you're a rap artist. You know, your livelihood obviously comes from gigging. Allison, you too. Uh, are, are you able to, what, refocus now on other facets of the work, just like writing new material? And do you have what you need at home? I mean, obviously, I, I see that you're pretty geared up. <laughs> That's good, because we're able to do this recording. Uh, what's going on?
0: Allison, you, you want to take this?
1: Um, I mean, yeah, I think we should really hear from both of us on this one. Yeah, yeah. I'll say for me, I have been DJing for many years of recent it's been mostly sort of a side thing for me so I, my my day job i guess right now is working over at Twitch doing artist relations and so that's been a big focus for me and funny enough it's one of the businesses where lockdown actually uh kind of helps us yeah. a little bit <laughs> <laughs> so um mm, you know i'm super grateful for that and everything exactly. but yeah i I'd, I'd say it's it's been a really interesting time for a lot of people um a lot of people close to me mostly creatives and people in music to kind of be collectively looking inward and spending a little more time on ourselves and i I think there's a lot of challenges that come along with that but there's also a lot to be gained from it too so taking it day by day and feeling pretty blessed about it all to be honest
2: what about you rohan
0: yeah man i mean pretty much the same thing um i i would have been on the road uh probably would be in asia right now i had a festival in singapore um in april but yeah i'm just taking this time to really uh focus on things that i haven't focused on in a long time or ever like you know um besides music obviously um doing a lot of cooking finding myself cooking you know and Honestly, for you know, I'm 27 years old. Like you know, I'm put together, fancy, tall, done for the first time. You know, <laughs> so you know, stuff like that. Really, you know, reading a lot of books that I, I've been, I've been wanting to get to. Um, as much as I am, I love performing. I love being on the road. But I'm not really like a um, going out to club or bars type of guy. Like when I when I'm half my free time. So. Honestly, I'm a homebody, so it hasn't been too crazy of a change, but you definitely feel, you definitely feel the atmosphere, you know.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, crazy. is there going to be a new genre coming out called Rapspecies, like recipes in in hip hop? Hey, there form? you go.
0: I didn't yeah. think about that. No, but Hey, what... Allison had a name called Snacky Chin back in the day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was made for these Rapspecies, guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh man,
2: yeah. That's 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 definitely going to be a new thing. Um But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm i curious, man, where does the name Bohan come from? Bohan Phoenix.
0: So, Bohan, so my Chinese name is Leng Bohan.
2: Oh, it's your name. Bohan. Okay.
0: Yeah, so Bohan is Bo Shi de Bo, Hanyang de Han. Okay. de Leng. Oh, man. Well,
2: uh, you're one cold, ice cold motherfucker then.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a cool name, man. It is, man. <laughs> but, but, but Bohan, you know, my, my mom wanted me to have knowledge in the Bo Shi manner and Hanyang in the, you know, have good uh, manners, mannerisms.
2: Okay.
0: But yeah, in no, a phoenix, so I was actually, I mean, before before Bohan Phoenix, I was going by finale with a PH.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And I just thought, you know, you save the la- the best thing for last. And the finale's last, so I'm the finale. <laughs> <laughs> you can really get to the, you know, elementary thinking there. But, um, you know, when I was like 22, I had spent exactly half my life in China, half my life in the States. And um, I just thought, you know, my life in Yichang, Hubei, compared to Boston and New York was so different. And my life before music and after music was so different. Just, you know, um, just from like even confidence level. And that, you know, Phoenix, it felt like a rebirth after college was done and I was really doing the music the full time, you know. I changed my name to Bohan Phoenix. I felt like it represented who I was at the time. Yeah, Yeah. so
2: definitely rebirth back from the ashes. Uh, There's a story you've, you've told about you know, when you would first come to the—I may say you were in, in, still in grade school, but when you were in high school in America, you used to you'd just walk around the outside of the school just to avoid going through the hallway and, and actually talking yeah. to people. So how, how did yeah. you transform from this kind of, you know, uh, introverted immigrant kid to this global hip-hop star, man? I mean, that's just not an easy—
0: Well, not really a hip-hop star yet, but, you know, we're getting there. But okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate the love. But um, I think there's many different factors. Um, so my father wasn't ever in my life. So my stepfather, he's this big Swedish uh, American dude. He really uh, took, you know, he, he really was uh, uh, responsible for introducing me to sports, team sports, to make friends. Um, he brought me to Chinatown to do martial arts in case I wanted a community that looked like me, that talked like me, that I could be comfortable at. And he just brought me around to getting close at Marshalls, getting food, and like, it wasn't it wasn't that like it was foreign. It was it was more like I didn't have the confidence in myself, you know. And he kind of like gave me uh, the many different ways to meet people. But yeah, like you said, like I was pretty uncomfortable about walking through a hallway because I thought people would be looking at me, looking at me, and judge me. And so I would like be in a classroom eating lunch by myself, or walk you know from one end of the school out. And back in the other but once I you know I think one of the uh, uh big breakthroughs for me self confidence wise was getting on stage with my gospel choir and then rapping with my gospel choir behind me to oh, wow. people that to people that I was afraid of walking in front of you know during the daytime so that was really like a thing in junior year that just you know blew my sh- Wait, you know, I was like, "Wow!" Like, you know, I could like go up to somebody and like kind of talk to them in a way I never could before, and uh, I think that was, yeah, that was, that was the transition point right there.
2: Allison, you came from a completely different world than than Bohan. You were born here in the states, and uh, not the same exact kinds of hurdles to assimilation. Also, just you know, being female versus being male and being Asian are totally different experiences. And you grew up on the peninsula, yeah, like. In San Mateo. yeah
1: that's right that's right bay area
2: but obviously something about artists who straddle these two worlds has, has drawn you uh you've always been interested in them I mean, you've worked with with you know a number of artists you know as a manager but also you yourself were, were drawn to china um tell me a little bit about that what was you know your and Alex experience like you know what how was your relationship to your chineseness growing up
1: you know it was it was really interesting. I think I, um, I'm really fortunate in that growing up in the Bay Area, there was always a big Chinese American population, a big Asian population. But I oftentimes actually found myself a bit on the outside of that. Um, both of my parents were born and raised in the Bay Area. And on my mom's side, um, her father was also born in California. So I'm like second, third generation. And in many ways, right. as I was growing up, most, um, you know, most of my peers around me were born of immigrants. They were first generation folks. And, you know, I was always kind of curious and in a way jealous of, of the understanding that they had of their cultures and whatnot. Um, you know, and so I think in, in a way, my desire to sort of learn about my own heritage, um, was, was one of the many things that kind of fueled me to get into music. I mean, I think. It wasn't really until working with Bohan that I even really considered China as a destination for music, to be honest. Oh, really? Um, okay. But I had always, yeah, I had always cared deeply about Asian American music and Chinese American experiences and whatnot. But in terms of connection to the mainland and whatnot, pretty much all of my family's in California. So I, I had really very little until my adult life.
2: Bohan, well, I'm, I'm curious, when you were going up and going to school, were most of your friends black or white, Asian, Latino?
0: Um. So pretty much a mix of everything. Oh, good. Uh, and to be honest, um, a lot of Asian kids, Chinese kids, they didn't really want to be friends with me because I was a little too weird for them. <laughs> and the people, the people I wanted to hang out with, they didn't. You know, they didn't really understand. You know. Um. So, but no, I kind of like, you know, just by kind, I jumped right into a Swedish American family at you know Christmas and Thanksgiving. You know, like so, like it wasn't. I, I I it wasn't it was all good for me like like who I was hanging out with you know I had to like the person and they and you know it's nice that they like me you know and that was kind of it you know and I, I've heard you cite
2: influences before and one of them is of course Eminem uh mm-hmm. you know what what was his influence on you I mean was he like I mean I've heard you talk about 8 Mile as like a, a major yeah. turning point for you
0: yeah so a mile actually you know happened when I was watching TV and watching cartoons as a way to learn English when I first got to the states oh wow and uh, my my mom yeah my mom my mom had you know other friends who I came from China before in the same situation with the kids come in and they found that helpful And so Amal, when I was watching that, my English wasn't good enough to even comprehend the the movie itself, you know, all the dialogue. But the story itself of this, like, white guy doing something that's clearly predominantly black in a black world, but, like, is able to find confidence in it and is able to, you know, uh, find, you know, friendship and all that, you know, in this really world that doesn't really belong to him. So I really related to that, you know. And I thought, you know, just from somebody, I was like, you know, 13 years old, 14 years old, coming from China, I just thought this was cool, you know, like what he was doing was cool. But really the that didn't come until I was inspired by his story and then I went and just dug up like pretty much everything there is to find on Eminem, you know.
2: You were like 16, 17, you said, when you were, it's j- junior year when you got in front of a crowd for the first time and, and actually rapped. Yeah,
0: like 16, Wow, wow. 16. Well, yeah. What was
2: that like? I mean, it must have been hard. I mean, I remember how hard
0: I don't, I do, I do not even remember. Because <laughs> when I was doing that, there was no actual thought of like, oh, I'm going to go to New York after this and like make this a thing. You know, like that was almost like a way. That was, at that time, that was purely just something that I, I think I was doing for self confidence, but I was also really curious in the music, you know. You were in Boston, right? Yeah, I was in Boston, but I don't think I was able to really look at it uh, like like experience as critically as i am i am able to like remember it you Uh, know that makes sense what
2: what was the reaction of your of your of your friends i mean how did i i think everybody
0: was nice yeah Uh, i mean you know (laughs) if if they thought i was whack they probably didn't say it to my face you know but um it's uh yeah i mean my choir director the reason i was even in the choir because like I wanted to be closer to music, uh, once I got over my just pure obsession with Eminem. And I was like, how do I get closer to music? You know? And so I joined this choir and, and, but the choir director, he's like, well, you're not really good of a singer, you know? But, uh, I heard you like to rap. If you're willing to rap on stage and write some verses about God, about love, you know, then I'll let you join the choir. You can be in a tenor section. You know, and kind of just blend in. You know, it's like, yeah, that's you know, that's cool with me. Was that a private school or public school? Public school, oh, really? Public
2: school. The, the guy yeah, was telling but, you I mean, to rap the, about God in a public school. Yeah, I mean, I got a you know, problem with that. But anyway,
0: nineties <laughs> was different. I mean, times. it was a gospel choir. Yeah,
2: it was a gospel right, choir, so the the content fair.
0: had to had to fit. You know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Alice, I want to ask you about how you first encountered Bohan. I mean, before you went to China, you didn't speak Mandarin. You know, there's not a lot of, of hip hop in the Toisan dialect, which I, I guess you probably heard a bit of growing up. Uh, what, what was it that, that grabbed you about Bohan? I mean, you know, there's clearly something going on already at that time with Chinese hip hop. Uh, he's obviously talented, but what was it that you saw that separated him from other, other guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me it really started with the music. Um, you know, Bohan and I were not friends before we started working together. It it really for me, like I at the time that we kind of first touched base, I think it was around 2015, I had been working in the music industry for several years at that point and, you know, it had become exceedingly obvious to me that there were no people that looked like me on stage or really off right. stage either, right? Um, And so, you know, I had kind of made it a point to try and find other people, other Asian Americans in the business um, and, you know, as artists and behind the scenes and whatnot. And they were really few and far between. I always wanted to support an Asian artist and I hadn't really found anybody that I found super impressive until I came across Bohan's work. Um, And I think you
2: heard like MC Jing or anything before that. Yeah,
1: I had I had. And, you know, I think I had some interest in it, but I think. What was really cool about Bohan for me was that at the time, which was 2015, long before diversity and inclusion became like such a part of the conversation that it is now, um, he was talking about things like identity, and he, they, you know, the beats that he was he was rapping on and stuff had like Asian instrumentation in it and stuff like that, and it it was just nothing. I, I didn't really hear anything else quite like that that had been done well, tastefully and in an interesting kind of genre bending way. And I was just like, you know, Asian or not, the the musical quality of this stuff is incredible. Yeah. And so the way that we first made contact was I literally realized that we had a few mutual friends. But I reached out on Twitter. I DM'd him. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Who's yeah. this?" <laughs> <laughs> like I was that excited. I couldn't even wait for Madison to put us in touch. I had to. I had to reach right. out to you directly. Like the second I heard your music, and I was just like, I, "I. don't know who you are or what you're about, but I fuck with this, and like I want to fuck with you." And then we became friends, and the, the, <laughs> the rest is history in a weird way.
2: Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Nice, nice. Um, Bohan <laughs> breaks a lot of stereotypes. Um. You have this song YMF, you know, which stands for Young Motherfucker, <laughs> and you have you talk about how Asians should be doing math instead of rapping. You know that that stereotype and stuff like that. Uh, right. There's a line in that song that says something like, "What are you trying to be, Black Motherfucker?" Um, yeah, yeah. Is,
0: is oh, this- oh you trying to rap, Motherfucker? Oh, so you're trying to be black, motherfucker? Right, right. Don't make me laugh. Stick to math, muff. Motherf- right, that's, right, that's why. Right. that ass, motherf- <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. Is is this
2: something that you heard from black people, actually, from other Asians, from white people? I mean, from all of them, or is that kind of an imagine? Um,
0: so definitely in person, um, actually mostly from Asian people. Yeah, that's right But be. on but online, there's you know you see uh you see all sorts of. Uh, comments being made from different people but it's it's not it's uh, it's honestly almost like a it's almost it's almost not really a touch on a direct experience but more of like a um like this talking about just uh the infrastructure for the playing field that that we have right now yeah that more of a comment on that than like a personal experience because honestly my personal experience and i've always talked about this is, is one that people have always showed love, you know, like every, everywhere I've been, like whether people, you know, they liked it or they didn't like it, it's always been love, you know. Like,
2: yeah, man, you're you're breaking my heart. I hear, I'm thinking about you. coming from this broken home. Turns out you have this totally great, loving Swedish American <laughs> stepdad. Who takes, you, you know, you, you yeah, experience I mean, all the freedom. No, no, actually, everyone's been totally yeah, supportive. Yeah. No, that's that's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's
2: it's good to hear. I,
0: I mean, the thing is, the thing is, like, my stepfather and um, you know, my my mom never really really. St- you know, told me not to do it because she felt guilty for not being there for the ha- for the first half of my life. So she kind of just let me do my thing, you know. And she thought it was be a phase and it'll be over. But you know, I started showing some uh, results before it it was over. So, wow. And but my stepfather was he? He just I mean he's old. He was born in 1950. You know, like from Dedham, like an Irish town. He just thought like I, you know, if I'm gonna get able to get into NYU, why am I wasting my time doing something else that's not certain at all? You know, he's like just put in the hard work, get a degree, you know, and and do the best you can. What did you know? end up getting a degree in? Communications. All right. Okay. I started off in econ- economics because I was like, oh man, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna take out so much loans, I might as well get something that. Uh, I don't know. Like Go work on Wall Street. I, I thought I was going to
1: use it or something. <laughs> you know? Something like, that I could recoup this on.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then, like, <clears throat> my junior year, I couldn't pass a single... I mean, like, it was by my junior year, I was still trying to pass the freshman math classes. So, at that time, I actually wrote a letter to uh, the president of NYU, John Sexton, because he, he had a thing. He's hoping agenda was I'm the student's president email me anytime so I emailed him I was like look I'm not gonna be able to graduate on time can I change into communications and he like had me over to his office had some cheese and crackers on the table he's like yeah you all set you know and um, and the reason I chose communications I was a J. Cole fan at the time big J. Cole fan and he, I looked up what he studied. He went to St. John's for communications. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> if it's good, enough, it's good enough. Hands, good enough. I have no
2: idea what's actually studied in communications, but
0: <laughs> exactly, me neither. <laughs> so,
2: so Allison, you know, hip hop culture, uh, especially when it comes to male rappers, has certain expectations of of, of masculinity, of, of hyper masculinity, even maybe toxic. Even there's a lot of defiance and the braggadocio, about the physicality, sexual prowess, even a lot of, I mean, straight-up misogyny, uh, a lot of critics would say. Um, I think things have definitely changed, but I think we have to recognize that there's certain stereotypes of Asian males uh, that run pretty counter to those expectations. So, How how do you feel when you hear some of the the sort of more overtly sexual themes in Bohan's lyrics? Uh, I mean that is there a disconnect there or is that is it is it just sort of performative or do you think this like
1: i mean not really for me and i think part of that is because i know dude and i'm like yo this is <laughs> this is real actually <laughs> okay, okay um i mean aside from that I, I i think a lot of it is really like the performative aspect of hip hop i mean i feel like so much of what rappers do is 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 designed for its pimp about, pimp out ability of, for lack of a better word that you know in a That's way a fine word. I, in, in a way i think for me like i've maybe just become not immune to it but i a, a little deaf to it i think i've always kind of grown up with more male friends than female friends when i first moved to new york the way i survived was djing for a living um at the time there were no female djs like let alone yeah. asian female djs and so yeah. i think like my tolerance for um Men's locker room talk is at a much higher threshold than your average girl. So,
0: <laughs> wait, Kaiser. I need to know which specific lines you think.
2: I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I just like uh, 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 references to women's genitals and your tongue, for example. You know that kind
0: of. <laughs> have I said that? Respectfully. I wonder if I was creative about it. All right. <laughs> nah, you
2: were fine. Uh, I might have to bleep that part anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, has the has the image of Asian rappers in the U.S. changed since you guys started? You know, doing this has it changed since you started
0: paying attention to it? I mean, I totally see like. You know, all the rappers that's, that's got the dreads, that's got the colorful hair, that's got the, you know, all the chains, you know, just the typical trap star, rich the kid, look, you know, and, and that works out for a lot of them. But for me, I've always just been too self-conscious to do anything that was, that, that I needed, that was like outside music, you know, like the bandana thing was, the I don't even know why I st- I'd, uh, why I started wearing that and how that stuck you know but it just did <laughs> but other than that you know like you, you know I'm wearing like a white t-shirt a black t-shirt like um I think I think yeah I think a lot of the times and, and I see this more clear than, in China than than here, because obviously China, all the rappers I'm dealing with are, are Chinese. But like a lot of the time, because the social media is so strong nowadays, people think that once they have the look down, once they have, you know, a certain, once they have the package down, you know, then they got it, you know. But they got everything down, but they just don't want to put the time down to, to make the music, to actually like find a sound, you mm. know, that can, you know, outlast their outfits, you know, so to speak, so... Yeah, Allison, you want to add something?
1: Yeah, um, you know, for me, I think I look at this in from from a different vantage point of having been in in and around the music industry for a while, um, and I can definitely say that I think hip hop has really expanded in terms of like what it accepts as cool, um. Over the last few years, and I think a lot of that is just streaming and you know, accessibility of music and the ability for different types of music to really kind of incubate and grow community around it. Um and so I think the definition today of like what a rapper can look and sound like is a much more mm. flexible definition than what it was ten years ago. Um That's so true. and you know, I think a lot of things contribute to that, but um you know, as in terms of what that means for for Asian rappers, is only good things, really. Um, yeah. you know, I think it's just it's just mm. overall a much more open and accepting and actually curious listener than than there were in mm. the past.
2: Yeah, mm. I want to move this over to China now, and you guys have done some really interesting work there. I, I'm curious. I mean, I had experiences definitely when in the in the 80, late '80s and the '90s, just sort of. You know, bringing rock music and bringing heavy metal into China, or helping to, you know, finding a scene that was still pretty underdeveloped, and then being a part of that, and I, I got to think that there's a pretty similar experience with with you guys over there. So, what was it like trying to trying to do that before it got really big and mainstream? Before you know, um, rap of China was such a a, a gigantic hit on uh, was it was it on Chihu? No, I mean on, on yeah, Ichi, yeah, I was on Ichi, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So. You guys got to have some interesting stories to share about those earlier days. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're interesting or not, but those earlier days were definitely so much more um, refreshing than, I mean, those earlier days are why I moved to China in 2017. So, I mean, when I first got to New York, and once I was at New York, I didn't think about leaving New York ever, Uh you know, going back to China for hip hop, you know, like that was never a thing, you know? But a lot of things uh, lined up, and um, a friend ended up flying us back to Beijing to work with this guy Howie Lee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like a producer from Beijing, and just man, I heard his music. I was like, how this how do we get this music in front of Pharrell and Kanye? Like, you know <laughs> that 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 those the stuff he was making in 2015 was so cool. Yeah, and um, and so we were out there in Beijing, and I'm like, I had no idea what to expect. I have four of my friends from Brooklyn with me, you know, like, cause we went back and I had my videographer, Tony G with me and we ended up shooting two videos in a week while we we're out there and doing a show. And, um, I, this, the night of the show, the, the, the line was so far out onto the street and we ended up having like 400 people in this small bar called Dada, you know, yeah. and I'm rapping on top of the DJ table cause there's no stage or nothing, you know, and the, the show was so crazy. People were pushing and shoving and in the middle of the show this guy picks up a beer bottle and just breaks it over this other guy's head. And that throughout that night there were like three or four fights because how rowdy the crowd was. Wow. And we you know, like the 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 entire night at a hotel, we couldn't sleep. I was talking my me and you know, my friends were like, This is like unreal. Yeah. And so that was twenty fifteen. And between and then twenty sixteen, Vice China brought brought us back again for a tour. And we were like, you know, that's, and in my, in my head, when we came back from the 2015, I was like, wow, I can't wait to go back out there. And then this Vice thing happens and it was seven cities to places that I haven't been in my, you know, from, and I was born in China. So those times when people came out for shows, you could tell, man, they were there for the music. There was no phones, you know, there was no like star chasing. It was like, it was there, it was music and you could tell, when you had a show, when you had a hip hop show, everybody in that town that listened to hip hop, like really listened to hip hop, they was out there. Nice. You know, like nice. and um and and yeah, and that was so I mean, I remember thinking, you know, when I was in New York, wow, it would be great if I was in New York when hip hop just started, you know, just to see what that's like. And I remember thinking and trying to like, wow, this is exactly what that's like, you know, like and um yeah, it was a crazy feeling. But then, you know, once the Rap of China show happened, obviously everything just cha- so, changed. So How yeah. how did your
2: yeah. stuff get received there? I mean, at that point, was it still pretty strict strictly American style or was there already like, you know, a lot of lyrics that were in Chinese and a lot of Chinese, you know, musical elements and, and how did they how did they react to you?
0: So I had um I had some songs up on the internet already mm-hmm. and um so when me and Howie had put out our stuff then you know, they had looked at some of that stuff. But the stuff that me and Howie were doing, they really loved. And I think, you know, without Howie, maybe that intro into China would have been slower or rougher than it was. Yeah, yeah. But I think Howie, as credible as he is, and, you know, as just as amazing. Those, honestly, anybody could have rapped on those beats. And them um, and those would have been really a fire <laughs> records, you know. And... Um, but I was just, but I was just, you know, like I, once I got those, I was just obsessed with those. And yeah, so the, 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 reaction was really good. The reaction was really good. And, um, I think, I think this idea of like this, this thing about being from New York makes you more credible than you probably, <laughs> right, you know, deserve yeah. to be, you know, like, and, uh, they were like, yeah.
2: Hey, I'm from New York. I'm from upstate though. It doesn't count. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, you know you know what I'm saying? You, you feel what I'm saying? Like, it does does give you a certain uh, aura. It's like, oh, Bohun and, ba- and Ban from New York, you know? Nice. Um, yeah, it was cool.
2: Do, do you, Allison, I'll put this one to you. Do you, do you feel like the world of hip-hop in, in China and in the United States, these two worlds, are showing more signs of convergence or of divergence? Are, are they moving further apart stylistically or lyrically or musically, or are they coming together more?
1: you know that's a really good question and i think when i look at hip-hop in china i think of kind of like two kind of distinctly different trends in a way right uh-huh. i think there was like this sort of long history of of small and underground stuff like iron mike battles and everything and and that yeah. like has yeah, been shout out to yeah yeah exactly iron mike yeah for sure and man. you know that that's been, guy who's been yeah
2: it's been great just dana mm-hmm. hey hey how's it going man
1: <laughs> what up Showtime? yeah um you China? know, i I think that had been sort of like a cultural undercurrent in China for a minute, but it sits like very much in opposition to this new coming of hip hop a la right. rap of China, right? Um What I can say about either of those is that I think they're both very different from how it looks in the states, right? Like if you look at sort of hip hop and how it kind of developed in the u s, it sort of came it came from the streets. It came from struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, you know, this this sort of underdog narrative and fight. And that is so different from arriving on the scene with McDonald's sponsorship. Right. Like, which is kind of right. how it, it went down in China. And, you know, I, I, I really just uh, I have a lot of trouble kind of comparing the two, especially with like the, the Western narrative so much being like in opposition to like the system and politics and like the predominant mm. narrative and how that is a really difficult message to try and even wrap your mind around in a place like China where things like the African-American experience like has absolutely no equivalent out there. Right. Um, right. Yeah.
2: And, and yet I feel like at the same time, there's more maybe authenticity than, and I had thought was a few years ago, I would see rap as being very much intermediated by, uh, Geographies like Japan or South Korea, like they were getting it secondhand. It was coming first to South Korea, Taiwan, or and or Japan, and then then to the mainland, and Mm. and getting you know watered down and really kind of made mainstream in the process. But it seems like in more recent years, they're drinking more straight from the tap. Like it's they're really paying direct attention because of the internet and because of so many other things. They're paying much more attention to what's actually happening you know, in LA, in New York, in Atlanta, even, you know, stuff like that. Right. So is is that, is that, does that seem true to you?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the VPN, the VPN definitely just (laughs) opened up, opened up the world for people that actually wanted to look for things. You know, like it was, it was really.
2: You got to do a rap about the VPN, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for real. I mean, shout out VPN. I mean, like. I remember, yeah, like meeting some um rappers in China for the first time and just purely asked them because I was curious. I was like, how were you guys listening to stuff? And they're like, well, we're just logging VPN and going on SoundCloud and YouTube. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, fair enough, you know, like easy enough. And I think that was, you know, up until the last two, three years, the government wasn't really that crazy yeah. on cracking down on VPNs, you know? So it was it was really a one click thing. Actually, Howie had um somebody had asked Howie about VPN. He had a really good answer that I always tell people pretend pretend is my answer. But like he said, uh, you know, it's like a smart kid and a dumb kid. Like the dumb kid, the mom put a lock on the door. He's just gonna stay in the room. But the smart kid is right. gonna climb out the window. <laughs> you know, like and he's, got, he's he's gonna do what he's gotta do. You know,
2: it, it didn't take a lot of smarts to get on a VPN back in the day. It's a little harder now. But back in the day, anyone with two brain cells can right. do it. Uh, you 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 talked right. about African American culture there, uh, you know from your years of watching the Chinese music scene and living in China, Allison. Um, has the rising popularity of hip hop changed the way that young Chinese people see Africans and African Americans? I, I mean, on the one hand, you know, I think there's definitely a case to be made that the kind of prejudice that I used to see in my early years of Beijing uh, has definitely given way to much more tolerance. But on the other hand, you see the the kind of nonsense that people write online. Uh, you know, there's so much racism still. If you look at these incidents from last month when Africans and especially people from, from Nigeria, I mean, they were just kicked out of these hotels and other residences ostensibly because of, you know, they, they, they hadn't, you know, the, the gotten tested or whatever. Uh, and I mean, you know, part of me understands that that kind of fear about the, the disease and everything. But uh, it seemed pretty cold. I mean, pretty awful. And there was obviously yeah. a, a big, you know, bit of it was just pl- straight up racism. So what's the relationship mm-hmm. between hip hop and, and the hopefully decline of racism in China?
1: Man, that's a that's a tough question. I mean, yeah, I think um, I think it depends on who you talk to. Like I definitely as an American going to China, as a Chinese American, but really as an American, had very little hope that, of of racial tolerance in China, yeah. right? Um, it just didn't seem like something that was on people's minds. And I found oftentimes mm. that I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of the people that I met. Granted, a lot of these people being creatives, people that work in music or media, mm. and really the type to seek out what is you know beyond the great firewall and and whatnot and really get into it so it's it's a difficult question um Hmm. yeah i mean bohan and i have talked quite a lot about this and how that especially amongst like the the chinese rap community has changed over the years where you know i remember in the beginning bohan telling me about instances where he had to teach people not to use the n-word and and trying to explain mm-hmm. what that meant to somebody who had no frame of reference for it was a tough mm. battle for sure it's still difficult yeah yeah
0: yeah i mean like it's just to, uh continue her 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 point there yeah i remember like you know telling people uh rappers in china you can't say that and they're like why i'm not racist and i had to explain to them that the context of the word and where it came from all that and they're like, Well, but I'm not racist. You know, I'll explain the whole kind of they're like, Well, but I'm not that, you know? And it really and it made me think too. I was like, well, are people out here held accountable for the same things that I am? You know, by by not by by being out there because totally in isolation and viewing it from the lens of the internet, you know. I had to I had to really think about that and I don't know the the answer to that. But you know, to to like talk to, to kinda of answer like your question, I guess, um, yeah, I think the younger kids um, are, are the ones that are more open to, you know, the um, uh, to African-Americans, you know. But for example, like my aunt, you know, she will be asking me like, oh, do you live in where do you live in New York? Well, is there a lot of, you know, a lot of black people? Jeez, you know, is it yeah. safe? You know, like and because she gets that she gets that through the through whatever it is, the media, the news, whatever, you know, like that, that she gets it from. But then, so when my friends from New York went back with me, and in Chengdu we all stayed at home, so I had two African American friends staying in the house, and she ended up—I mean, she loved them, you know. She still asked me about Ralph and Zach to today, you know, like and like I remember having a conversation with her about it. She's like, "Yeah, like wow, like black people are so <laughs> nice," you know, and like it's it was, it's like it's an unreal conversation to have, you know, like the you know, and but to see but to see that immediate change in reaction you know purely based on like uh i actually got like come in contact with 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 the person with the things that i don't understand and now i understand you know like i think i think a lot of the things that's happening in china right now i mean man i just i know i'm sure we all know like what's fundamentally like wrong or right right or wrong and then kicking people out in the middle of the night from their house homes whatever reason is just wrong you know and and as as a Chinese American, I've always, you know, it, it was harder as a younger uh, kid, but now I have no problem saying that there, I do not agree with a hundred percent what China does. Absolutely not, you know. And just like the American side of me, don't agree with the, or the American what America does all the time. And I'm trying to wrap my head around, you know, you know, the incidents that's happening to the Nigerians in Guangzhou. And if you, if you look at it from, you know, what the Chinese government have always stood for, which is sovereignty, which is, you know, keeping things in China, it kind of makes sense from their perspective. But from us, our perspective, I mean, that's just yeah. brutality, you know, so it's it's really crazy. That's right. Crazy. That's
2: right. That's a that's a big can of worms. So we could talk a whole another hour about that. I want to ask you, though, yeah, about about, room. Uh, you know. Actually, all of us have been involved in one way or another in, in creating music that is, you know, that tries to be Chinese in some way. Right. Um,
1: mm-hmm. And we run
2: into we were talking about this, you know, how they don't understand the sort of socioeconomic mm-hmm. backgrounds of the kind of people who who created that kind of music originally in its original context up. Um, most of the the, the rap mm-hmm. guys you were friends with probably couldn't even explain the kind of the, the genesis of that genre of music, where it fits into the whole history of popular music mm-hmm. in the West. Um, and mm-hmm. we're also trying to, you know, to make it Chinese in some way, which is which is tough. Um, I mean, you said I, mm-hmm. I read an interview where you I'm going to quote you. You said, I'm always looking for ways to add fun Chinese elements to make sure my music is not just a New York beat with Chinese rhymes. But at the same time, you don't right. want to overdose and make it too tacky. Uh, that's that's I, I have said like practically the same thing. I mean, I don't want it to be f- an orientalist, right? I don't want it to be just like I right. mean, and I know what what that is when I see it. But I don't know how to explain right. what how you know tacky from not tacky. What's authentic? Do you have some kind of a rule right. of thumb, or for you
0: is it just a gut? Man, to be honest, that I don't even that that. I don't even believe in that anymore. I have moved on okay. from that. You know, from from what I was trying to do then. But to, 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 to
2: You don't you know no no Chinesey stuff at all then?
0: Well no, not no Chinesey stuff at all. Like if if it happens to be if 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 it's natural, if it's if it's like, you know, we're in a room with a bunch of artists and then like somebody happens to have, you know, like it has to be natural. But nobody's going to have
2: an arhu in their back pocket or whatever.
0: I mean, that's not thing. That, yo, you'd be surprised. I would be, I mean, I'll pop in the studio sometimes with my homies, saying, there's like somebody with the an who there's somebody with a, I'm okay. not even kidding. Like, you know, like they're out <laughs> right. here, they're out here. But, 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 you know, the point is like when I think when I, when I was talking about that, I was at a phase where, you know, I was trying to. I thought like adding a little bit of Asian stuff was my sound, you know, because and I thought and and I was kind of running with that, and then until a point where I realized no matter, you know, if if I'm able to make make it natural, cool. But if I was if I'm doing this intentionally on every song, like I got to rhyme in Chinese and English on every song. I'm just like making it's a gimmick. A gimmick. Right? I'm like exoticizing myself. Yeah, I'm exoticizing myself for the sake of hey, notice me, you know. And so I went from there to kind of like you just want you know, to wow, kick ass on its own right. I kind of just want yeah. to. No, I, I I I totally get that. I mean, I've been through the same whole process. Yeah, you know? yeah. You just want to make the best music that that you can make. You know, like you want you want the music to just do its work. You know, Allison, how do you feel about
2: this? I mean, do you have some sort of rule of thumb when you're evaluating an artist? I mean, because I've definitely heard bands like in in China where it just seems so shoehorned on or you know just like appended it's just like you know you, you sort of you're wearing this you know dumb Chinese hat on top of a just, but at the same I've also heard acts where it does it's just completely organic and it, they just get it right and mm. and I part of me still wants Chinese music to be recognizably Chinese you know, I don't. It's just another freaking. Well,
0: well, then you don't. You can't do hip hop. Yeah, no. Sorry, yeah. sorry to cut in. Dude. You can't. You can't do hip hop and want it to be mm. Chinese. hip hop is black music. You know, like no matter if you, you you can rap it in Chinese, you can you can have the drums be Chinese drums. You can <laughs> you know, look as Chinese you look. It's still a black. You know, <laughs> yeah, Kway Bar. Yeah, you know, even if you take it in. But yeah. Yeah, man.
1: I mean, <laughs> that's that's a tough question. I think for me, like, it's hard to put a finger on exactly what you know is that fine line between cheesy or not cheesy or too much or not not enough right man yeah you asking the tough ones today Kaiser?
0: but like I, i'm like i'm sure it's yeah. whatever sounds right though you that know what i mean right, like yeah. it's it's yeah i
1: think for me yeah, like, it's an authenticity thing really like mm. you know i, I and, and this is no shots to K pop because I know that there's so many fans who love it. But the thing that like I can't get past with K pop is how manufactured it feels. Right. Like the music is mm. just the Frankensteining of already le- like already popular sounds and ways of making music together in this sort of like neatly packaged formulaic way that just kind of freaks me out and you know it, it it's listen clearly clearly I am maybe not even the majority in my thinking here cuz so many people love it but for me, it just feels fake and kind of vapid, right? And I think that's like a big thing for me in evaluating this, you know, Chineseness. Like, does it feel like a gimmick? Right. Are you being sincere? Have you done your homework and like, is this arhu here because it's the first Chinese instrument you ever heard of? Or because like you actually have a connection to that sound or something? And it's hard to, it's hard to delineate that, um, you know, off the bat, but I think look and listen close enough and it's hard to fake the funk, man.
0: Mm. And, and I'll tell you, Kaiser. Like I, I've done a song. I've put out songs in the past where I've put Asian instru- uh, instrument parts in there, and then, and then it's out, and I'm like, Fuck, "Why did I just do another <laughs> one of these?" You know, like I, I, I immediately, immediately, I'm like, you know, like, yeah, I, I so do. yeah. <laughs>
1: I think we think about it in a weird way in the States, too, especially with regards to how much like the Asian-American narrative in entertainment has changed in the last three years. Right. Right. Like 2015, having anything remotely Asian sounding melding with hip hop was pretty few and far between. Um, and then, you know, I think it was probably around, like, 2016 or so that talking about identity and where you come from started to, like, actually feel cool instead of, like, being something that, you know, people were like, oh, Asian rappers just complaining about not being represented, right? And And I think it became almost... Perplexingly harder to talk about identity in that world because it started to feel gimmicky or played out. And as true and as real as it was to a lot of the artists that were talking about it, it just felt it started feeling like a parody product.
2: Wow! I don't know. That's that's a yeah, it's a trap. I mean, it's a very difficult yeah conundrum to be in. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I, I want to ask you about the city of Chengdu uh and your first trip when you were in Beijing in 2015 I don't think you got out there right you no
0: i didn't no i didn't go out to Chengdu in 2015 but i've been going back uh, to Chengdu a lot just cuz family's there anyway so before that i was going back to Chengdu every year for you know yeah oh okay oh wow so you actually have quite a bit of attachment to to the city yeah i mean my we were in hubei but in 20, 2004 uh, a year after I left, uh, 2005, two years after I left, the, my grandfather went to uh, Chengdu. Oh, uh, I
2: love that city. But mm-hmm. I, I got to ask, why do you think it emerged as such a center for rap in China? I mean, Beijing became like the metal and rock capital of China. Um, you know, maybe Shanghai mm-hmm. more for jazz. Is there something about the personality mm-hmm. of the city, do you think? Or is there? are there some mm-hmm. other factors? Why did, are so many of the best known rap acts all associated with Chengdu?
0: Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think Chengdu has a a relaxed way about it. I guess that's the the best way to put it. I guess in Shanghai and Beijing, you're competing with. I mean, Shanghai and Beijing, you're putting a lot of money up first of all, just for rent, just for living. <laughs> uh, you know, and then rent aside, you you know, food and all that. You know, getting around. I mean, so I think Chengdu has a relaxed way about it in that sense and it to it's able to give the artists a freedom where they can do a couple shows a month and pay their rent and then just work on music you know and um and that's able to i guess give the artists more time than the other cities where they have to actually worry about how to survive you know beyond yeah. just the music so I think that's part of the reason why and honestly another reason <clears throat> um that that's pretty clear to me too. It's just the the way the Chengdu dialect like sounds. It just it sounds so amazing on, you know, like to, you know, to to my to me personally. Yeah,
2: I hear that a lot. I mean, you know, I hear that from a lot of people.
0: Yeah. What
2: what what do you think it is about Chengduhua or Sichuanhua that, that makes it better suited than
0: Mandarin for 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 rap? Well, the Mandarin tones, the uh ER the Mandarin tones is a little um too clean too polished uh-huh. for 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 something that needs to be a little swagged out i see and the and the chendu dialect just has that mm, kind of more country tone almost you know <laughs> but in like a but in like a in like a gray way you know and it cuts sharp chendu dialect almost sounds like japanese a little bit with the tones you know like it's very 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 it's Very aggressive. Did you know, did you it, know it
2: growing up? I mean, because your grandfather, no, not at all. Did you not have at all. you My learned grand, it like, since? I mean, can you listen uh, to it? A, a little bit? Can I can understand. Okay, it, but you can man, understand. Like, it. If,
0: I had to, if I had to say it, I mean, I'm just gonna embarrass myself. You I, know? I can't and, understand um, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not at first, not at first, but I mean, being in, for, in there a couple of years and definitely, definitely helped. It, um,
2: you've, you've said before your favorite track of yours is Three Days in Chengdu.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, I love that track too. Hey, let's give that one a listen right now.
0: Jackery Beats. Uh, la la. Yeah, uh. Yeah, yeah. If know, it's la la baby. Oh yeah. Yeah. Got me feeling real dead yeah. up in this's yeah. 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 your boy I got the heat yeah. for the winner winner i make it snow in the summer summer my mama told me remember what she told mehong remember remember money don't make you the winner money don't make you the man money don't make you this way you money and then you go do nice I'm actually resembling the middle part of the long section for a new song oh
2: cool okay, right. cool yeah. Hey, so speaking of Chengdu, you know you've done stuff with Higher Brothers and with Vava. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, I actually heard that you were like instrumental in, in getting those guys picked up by Eighty Eight Rising. Is that right?
0: Yeah, me and Allison both. Oh, wow. So okay. I was on tour in tw- in China, twenty sixteen, and at that time uh, I've been working with a um, a comp- uh, like a a, cy- a rap cipher company in the states. And I was trying to get some money from them by saying, when I'm I'm on tour in China, I'll shoot some rap ciphers of local rappers, and then you guys can put that together, and I'll put me as the host, and you know, you pay me some for shooting the videos. So when I got to Chengdu, I was like, okay, like I was asking around, asking Howie, Howie's like, yeah, there's a group called Chengdu Rap House. So I hit up Chengdu Rap House, the the Weibo account. I don't know who I hit, who who answered, but they're like, oh yeah, we're not available, but higher brothers are i was like who's higher brothers you know like and so lo and behold we got saipi we got masway we got nono coming through and mellow at that time this is before they blew up so mellow was actually working a job at a zoo um
1: <laughs>
0: yeah i think i think his parents are you know i think their parents are up there somewhere and and um uh, they hooked him up with a nice job so this, one of their songs beginning, uh, that was called Tai Wei, Tai Wei, Tai, Wei, tai, Wei, tai, Wei, tai, Wei, tai Wei. They're missing this dude the whole time. So that was how I met them on tour. And then Allison was transitioning between Fader and ADA. And ADA, you know, they didn't have nobody that know nothing about China. Yeah. And Allison was able to, you know, uh, bring Higher Brother on board.
1: My discovery of Higher Brothers was so random, though, because it actually mm. happened independently of Bohan, but through the same connection, which was Howie Lee at the time had been talking to my friend Nelson, who was working at Boiler Room in New York, mm. and Howie had made um, you know it, it had made a mix uh, for Boiler Room, and Nelson sent it to me before I got released, and he was like, "Hey, what do you think of this? Like, I know you've been kind of interested in Chinese music." And I listened to the mix, and there was a Higher Brothers track in there, and I was like, "This is crazy! This is fire!" Oh, do you I've remember nev- what it was? I don't remember what it was. Um, uh, I wonder
0: if it's Seven Eleven
1: no it Gosh. was dude it was older than that it was older than wow. that i was still like, at fader at the time and i was like i reached out to Al- howie and i was like holy shit like who are these guys like i need <laughs> to know and he was like oh these, these guys hire brothers and and then by the time i got over to 88 somehow bohan and i put two and two together and realized that he had met these cats last time he went to went to china and so um you know i i put one of their music videos for black cab In front of the of the colleagues that I had over there and this was at the beginning of 88 I think I was like the fourth employee fifth employee something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm. And they loved it and Bohan really helped us reach out to them at the time I had next to no Chinese language experience. Nobody else on the team did. We had to tell the CEO. That was was fun. Yeah. That was fun. We had to like tell the CEO what VPN was and make him aware of (laughs) the fact that like YouTube was blocked in China.
0: Like it was He goes, Wait, how how are we supposed to put music up if YouTube's blocked? I was like, oh my God. Yeah,
1: Yeah,
2: it's a universal phenomenon, but you talk to people, you know, like in Chengdu who are really into the rap scene. I mean, I, I go, I go there once in a while. I was there last October and I was talking to people oh, nice. and they get pretty exasperated when you even mention anyone who's been successful. Like you talk about higher brothers and they, they roll their eyes and say, Oh, you know, the, that's, that was like two years ago. You know, we all,
0: <laughs> what
2: are people listening to now? I mean, I mean, Man. it was like, <laughs> Oh no, shitty. He's still totally cool. And yeah, mellow. They liked actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, so the difference is I can't see, the fans before Rap of uh, China as clear as I was able to before Rap of China. I feel like a lot of the fans even just gave up on the rap scene. You know, like, just stopped going out of concerts altogether, you know? And um, I think, I think they just don't want to be around, like, like, they're, uh, like, they don't want to be around the Mace, you know, Uh the, and, um, yeah, I think, um, the, the Rap of China artists have really taken over in terms of The general, you want to say, general listeners. Hey, you know, it made it better for a lot of people. (laughs) Ruined it for me, you know. But you know, like I, I think, I think, yeah, they, they have taken over the interest of the main mainstream. But the the higher brother fans, man, they're higher brothers are the only ones that are that that are selling out more tickets in China uh, than the than the people that are on the show and they didn't go on the show, you know. Like so, their fans are there, you know, but. Uh, A lot of people are just over how big they've been and how 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 many shows they do, how high their ticket price are, you know, like, yeah,
2: it seems like I mean, I haven't listened to everything that you've put out, but I've listened to an awful lot over the last week or so. I feel mm. like your Chinese stuff. You 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 avoid the R-rated language, and you save that all for English. Is that true?
0: Yeah, I mean, my Chinese, my Chinese level of of writing in, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's way more elementary. I mean, I use it, I use it more as like a, almost like a in a po in like in like a poetry way, where it's like really just. Uh it's it's like I'm missing a couple words in there maybe, but it still makes sense. You understand? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I might Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I I like it that way. Um
2: uh, I got the opposite yeah. problem is I always use the R rated language accidentally like <laughs> in an academic conference or something like that. I also you know, swear accidentally yeah. 'cause I I, that's, I learned it from a bunch of guys who swore like, you know, drill sergeants. Uh, so that's how I learned <laughs> Mandarin. Oh, Lovely. And funny. with that Beijing? yeah, with that Beijing, Beijing? Beijing?
0: Oh man, that's that's knives. <laughs> yeah, that's daggers.
2: Hey, hey I ran an interview once you, you you distinguish between Chinese rappers and Chinese people doing rap.
0: Yeah. What's I what's mean, the
2: difference? What's that distinction and why is it important to you?
0: No, I think I think it's the idea of uh Chinese hip hop and Chinese rappers. Okay. That there there's no such thing to me, uh in my opinion, as Chinese hip hop. Just because you're Chinese or just because you're rapping in Chinese or just because your music has Chinese elements doesn't make it Chinese hip hop. Just like if a black person is doing martial art doesn't make it black Shaolin martial arts. We're just participating in each other's culture, you know, like, but you could be a Chinese rap. You could be a Chinese rapper, you know, like, like, so because because I think about this because, again, like. You know when I first when I first started incorporating Chinese language and instruments, I was like, how do I make a chat? You know what I mean? I was like, yo, I- I'm about to make some real Chinese hip hop. You know, like I remember doing I remember doing a, a Bandcamp interview. I even tell them to call it Oriental Trap or something. You know, like I was like, I was really trying to work. You know, like certain terms back then. You know, um, and get the music out there. You know, but. Um, yeah, it's like this idea of a selling point. It becomes a selling point. You become, I became, I realized when I put Chinese in my raps, blogs want to write about me. But before I did that, they didn't want to write about me. So it became a selling point. Yeah, but that must be point. kind of
2: frustrating. Because, I mean, it's like, you know, if, if J. Cole puts out a new song, the headline is not going to be like black rapper right. puts out a new song. But when you put out yeah. a new song or a new album, it's going to be Chinese rapper or Asian rapper puts out a new great song. Great point. Is that that's is a, that a, ever going to go away? Or that's a is great that,
0: point. I think, I think, um, I think, so I used to be frustrated with that same thing. Like, yo, I'm a rapper. I'm an artist. That's it. You know what I mean? Don't call me, you know, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I'll say the same thing. Like, yo, you don't, you know, see them labeling Kendrick a, you know, black rapper. But, you know, I thought about it. I was like, yo, that's not going to change from their end until. And it's like a time. I think I honestly believe it's a time thing. Until this becomes normalized, until there's enough dope Asian artists out there that's putting up quality content where we don't have to bitch about like, oh, what a, represent us? Well, you have anybody that's putting out dope content? You know, what I mean, that that can compete with Kendrick and everybody? You know, like so. I feel like until then, you know, maybe in a in a really perverted way, labeling me a Chinese rapper might help might help might help someone click on that and listen to my music you know like so that's kind of where i'm at with that right now
1: yeah i feel conflicted about this too if i can butt in mm-hmm. here oh absolutely, because um you know when bohan and i start- first started working together the way that we would get press was for me to go and target all the asian american writers and put like the identity narrative at the forefront of every single pitch. And that was the only way that we would get coverage ever. So it was like, do we, you know, pull out the stops to exoticize ourselves and like, you know, brand Bohan Phoenix as a Chinese American rapper? Or do we just not get press at all? Right. It really, it really felt like this kind of messed up double-edged sword in a way, which then, you know, when when talking about identity and crazy rich Asians and fresh off the boat and just more media representation did come around, people were like, man, all you guys talk about is your identity. And so it it was, you know, it was a difficult position to be in, but I think in many ways at the same time, I'm grateful for the writers who wrote about us that way. And Mm -hmm. um, because it really did help us connect with a lot of people in the community who like me, not too long ago, we're looking for Asian American rappers and wanted to find them, so yeah. it's it's tough.
2: Well, I apologize for being another one of those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no. We are used to it, my friend. No. All
2: right, all right, no, all right. No. Uh, you know, and and I, I kind of apologize again for the, the next topic, which I have to segue into, which is you know really very much about identity, and but it's it's about you know this this time historically where we're seeing just this increasingly hostile. Uh, relationship between China and the United States, which I'm sure is causing you guys to need therapy as much as I do right now. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's mm-hmm. just really <clears throat> me up in such a bad way. Um, mm-hmm. You've, Allison, I know you've you've lamented the whole adversarial framing uh, in so much of the media. That was years ago, though, before it even got as bad as it is. Yeah, uh, and I think we all realize it's it's just going to get worse in the coming months, maybe you know, the coming years. Um, but are you guys as artists, are you going to need to choose between markets? I mean, I, I think we all recognize there's a, an urgency to build something that connects the two, right? We want to keep that connection going, but we also have to eat. And, mm-hmm. and you know, is there in that space between a viable market or are we going to have to decide it's the U.S. or China?
0: Um, so... You know, up until now, we have this idea that we can do both. We're going to have a foot in either side, you know, Um, one, because we got in China pretty early and we know a lot of people that are doing the shows, doing the festivals. I have personal contacts with all the venues and all the cities, and I'm friends with pretty much all the artists out there, you know, and we have really great relationships out there. So, you know, that we picture, that would work out there, you uh, know, over here, which, you know, I would love to win a Grammy for whatever it's worth. It, it's like some sort of validation from the system. You know, I you know, I know, you know, to people that's silly, but I would love to win a Grammy over here. But I mean, you know, with the recent uh issues and me actually being an American citizen, I can't even go back to China. Right. So, And even before this, the last two years, I mean, Allison has wrote extensively on this topic about Chinese uh, government, especially the Art Performance Bureau, not granting licenses to foreign acts. Like I myself gotten, I myself gotten many festivals canceled the last year uh, before coronavirus. So, I mean, I would love to choose both, but I think, hopefully not, but I think, you know, it's going to choose for me at some point, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. That sucks, man. Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: but I mean, like, you know, sorry, but like, you know, just a little more just in terms of content wise, I think my music is is actually more understood in the West than in China, which is my style huh. and, and and my music and also the fact that it's mostly in English, you know, but yeah, yeah in China, in China, the, the my fans, they really they re, man, the fans that I have in China, they really just are the best fans. They they fuck with me so hard. You know? Oh, nice. They, they hold nice it down. Nice. Yeah. So I
2: mean, we're all pretty pissed off about this whole rise of anti Asian racism, the xenophobia that we've seen in the U S., especially you know after the advent of COVID nineteen. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there are also lots of allegations of xenophobia aimed at white people, even in the the Chengdu hip hop scene. You know, the he had that song called Gua-la-wai. I don't know if you remember that.
0: Mm, yes, yeah, of I, course. I, I, man, that's a hot to topic that? right there.
2: Yeah, yeah. How'd man, I
0: mean, I mean, so Kaiser, you lived in China, right? Let me I did. When you yeah. were in China. You do you saw the, did you see two different type of foreigners, like behavior wise? Yeah, of I
2: mean, I, I know where you're going with this, and right. yeah, I, I I do, I do. So, so like, so so uh, you you know, know so, they can't always tell. They can't always tell the difference. Right, you know? exactly. I mean, it's like you could say the
0: same thing about you know anyone. You know, hey, uh, for sure, for sure. So so I think so I think you know his his point was just totally lost uh, by a lot of people. But you know the way he was making the point though. Wasn't the best way neither You know Like I think what he was trying to say Was on a lot of Chinese people Who are living in China's minds You know That there are a lot of uh, Foreigners that come here And they're very respectful Of how How things are How people live in China And you know They want to be part of The community Instead of being like I'm an outsider I'm from a richer uh, GPA place, you know, and and you know, and I'm gonna, you know, come here and be an asshole about it, you know. And he was talking about those people that were being an asshole about it. But unless you're living in China, you don't know. Sure, that. no,
2: I know. We've all encountered those people. I mean, the guys who go right. And
0: he, and he, and he was big enough that, and then he this video, I mean, he has this video of this mannequin, a white mannequin, he is a baseball bat to the face, right. to the head, you know, like, no matter what you talked about in the song before that, you ended the video with that, and that's all people see, yeah. you know, so I think his message was good, but the delivery was just totally wrong, you know. So you guys have both
2: spoken out quite a bit on Twitter, Bohan on Instagram, against the the surge in anti-Asian you know Asian hate speech and the violent attacks that have come from yeah. us. Uh, let's talk about what you guys have. You know how what's your react your reaction been to this, and what you think maybe Asian American artists should be doing to kind of mobilize people and to
0: raise awareness of this. I mean, I mean the thing that makes my reaction is that I don't want the Asian community to get so mad over this that we end up doing and saying things that make us look just as stupid. You know, like like uh like.
2: You're talking about those dudes who are saying, like, I got guns, you know, if you, you hit me on 911 and I'm gonna.
0: Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, shut the fuck up, crackers. Like, I'm gonna come and find out where you live. You know, just doing the same really, like, just internet warriors, keyboard warriors, you know, like, and I think, I think, I think, um, instead of like getting so, you know, I, I, I'm mad too. I'm, I'm super mad too, but like, I don't think, uh, attacking, attacking people who are already so ignorant is going to, make you feel better or make them change their minds, you know? I think, I think at this time, more than anything, it's enforced the fact that, uh, yo, we gotta love each other. We gotta support each other. The only reason we are here on earth is to help each other, you know? Like, and this is no better time than to enforce that belief, you know? And that's, I mean, that's a personal belief, you know? But, um, and, you know, I, th- I actually was talking to Allison about this. I was like, yo, how- am I, like, just, do I just got a big mouth? Like, how come I'm the only one kind of, like, talking about this? Me and China Mac, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, China Mac is out here talking a lot. But, you know, and I was like, what, is it, like, a fear of losing followers? Is it, like, a fear of, oh, like, uh, I'm going to look like I'm just, you know. Another guy fixated with identity or, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, and I was like, and you know, we thought maybe it's a little bit of everything, you know. But, um. And maybe, you know what, maybe if I had a million followers, I wouldn't do that. Who knows? Like, maybe it's the fact that I only have 10,000 followers, 12,000 followers, and I'm like, you know what, I have nothing to lose. Let me, let me speak my mind on this, you know? like
2: <laughs> You'll have more after this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, baby.
2: <laughs> Allison, I want to ask you a specific question about uh, one response to this, and that was from Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. I can't say Yang. I somehow just can't make myself say
1: I, I feel the same way, man. I know, right? I know what you mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 see him, you know, Yang Gang, and I always go, oh, that's Yang Gang. <laughs>
0: that's Yang Gang. Why does that sound, that sounds like a character from Shui Hujuan.
2: <laughs> yeah, Yang Gang, exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, he wrote this Washington Post op-ed in April. It had you know, it sparked a lot of backlash from the Asian American community, in, in, including me. I I wrote very angrily about this. You should wear American flags. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Wrap yourself in the flag. You know, do your part. This, you know, it's like loyalty tests all over again. What well, sure. well, how, how did you guys react to that?
1: I mean, I had a very similar reaction to you too. It just, it, it. I don't. And it was really hard for me to articulate it, especially as like a second generation American who owes so much of who they are and the privileges that I've had in my life to Americanness. And, you know, let me tell you, moving to China definitely definitely like checks you in your privilege and, and your Americanness, right? Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> but something about the way it was phrased was just so off-putting to me. Um, I Um I kind of felt like the way that it was spun was such that like... I it 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 felt like a setback in this whole Asian-American narrative where it's like, oh, so I got to choose like, you know, I can only Mm. be like this crazy flag wearing freak or like it Mm. it just I don't know. It it made me very uncomfortable, to be honest.
0: Right. Like me, like me, what well, everything I've done so far is not American enough. And that's why what that's happening to me. You know, it's like, you know, that I haven't been wearing an American flag. That's why the, the shit's been happening to me. That's why someone pointed at me and called me Ebola on the subway. Oh, cause I, I don't have an American flag on. You know, it's like, I mean. Yeah, that's
2: what it is, man. <laughs> 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 you see an thanks, American flag. Thanks, bandana. Andrew.
0: <laughs> I mean, up until then, I was riding with dude. Again, I'm not a big politic guy at all. You know, like. But you know, I don't know. I mean, and then it made me just question, like, wow, like maybe I, you know, shouldn't speak up on anything at all about Andrew Yang.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was yeah. I was pretty disappointed by him, but um, yeah, and you know, I never really saw him address it again later either, which is, uh, maybe maybe he did, maybe I'm being unfair, but I I, mm. maybe I, should, I should look and see whether he did, but yeah, the whole Yang Gang response was not. <laughs> <Yang> <laughs> <out>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, did you see Jin Song Yang Gang? the the, the Yang Gang song
2: no man I haven't seen that
0: okay well so when Obama was running for president he had made a song uh, shouting at Obama and he actually ended up right and he made it Obama got a picture and so he did this song about Yang Gang (laughs) over um, over uh, Wu-Tang B oh oh man I'll check
2: that out for sure for sure (laughs) Wu-Tang really is the first Chinese rap. Not. <laughs> yeah they are
0: man They really are It's so funny Because
2: you know My band was called Tong Dynasty And anytime people Would be like Like Wu Tang Dynasty Or whatever
0: something. Yeah yeah Hell yeah Wait Did you did you say that They're the China, first Chinese driver Because you read That I said that somewhere Or you just said that or you, or Oh you? no
2: I just said that I, oh, that's I didn't, hilarious! I read you. you said the same thing. That's pretty funny. Hell
0: yeah, yeah! I was actually an Asian, a couple, like a couple Asian girls at Oberlin, Ohio. They had invited me to go do a show at their like Chinese Student Association, and they're like, "Can we have a panel talk beforehand on culture?" I was like, "Sure!" Like. And it was just all Asian people, and it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're gonna have a culture talk about culture with all Asian people, you know, Chinese people. And then like the first question or some questions like, so how do you deal with the fact that you're Chinese and you're rapping? What? I was like, uh, <laughs> what? I was like, how do I deal with the fact?
1: You like, oh, know, I have man. thoughts about this. I don't know how, how I really do. got that's
0: here a, that's,
2: a a terrible, <laughs> terrible, that's a whack question. That's <laughs> a terrible yeah. question.
1: I mean, I feel like I actually thought about this a lot after Trump got elected. Because I remember that I remember when it happened, it felt like a slap in the face and a shock to me because I realized that like my entire, you know, news consumption habits, my social media chatter was just this giant echo chamber of algorithms pushing to me things that I already wanted to see and already agreed with. Like, if, if we want to talk about preaching to the choir, like, that's, that's kind of yeah, what that felt like, choir. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, like, while that has, like, a, that, you know, there's a beautiful thing about that sort of, like, algorithmic recommendation of things that you already care about, and that it's, you know, you, you can build community that way. You can connect with like-minded people. That's f- awesome. But I think it also, you know, in a way that I hadn't really anticipated, put it up put up blinders for me that like where, where I wasn't seeing other narratives anymore and, and, mm. you know, they became sort of, um, invisible to me. And so I think, you know, you're to answer your earlier question about sort of how the Asian American narrative has changed and what Asian Americans should be doing is I think right now is a time and sort of a unique time where we're all kind of like at the mercy of the same, um, COVID-19 situation and it's Mm. it's it's such a time that like we should really be realizing all the things that we have in common as a human race rather than separate Mm -hmm. races within you know the planet and whatnot and come together on things because I mean we can talk about our own problems to our own communities forever but it takes the cooperation of others outside in order for change to actually happen for any of us
2: it'd be nice Mm. to see that happening I, I mean I feel like you know the Asian American community is not uh, the ones who are experiencing a massive failure of empathy and recognition of our common humanity right now. Uh, Mm, It's being like inflicted Mm. on us by, but Hey, Mm. Hey, you guys, I got to be respectful of your, of your time here. Um, Wait, can I ask you a question?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, you know, have you ever thought I've, I've thought I've always wondered about this and I, I don't know how to conclusively think about this topic. Um, do you ever think about like being Chinese or being Asian or being non? So, so the
2: weird thing about me is that I was in China for 20 years and I am really pretty new to the whole kind of experience of, of, of Asian Americanness in America. So it's, it's oh, seriously, wow, it's, yeah. it's a weird thing. And, you know, here I am, like I'm in my early fifties and I've, I've come back after 20 years and it's, it's like, I'm learning the whole thing. And, it's it's just such a different thing for me because you know my wife is from from Beijing, you know my kids are super bicultural, but um, I grew up in the suburbs without any Chinese you know people around. I went to UC Berkeley and everything, but you know while I was there, my focus was you know so much on China and the United States, not on Chinese Americanness. So I'm am I'm a, a weird a weird case in, in that. So my 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 thing has always I kind of have stubbornly insisted that I can identify as both. And, and yeah, people can't wrap their heads around that, and it becomes even more difficult in a time of extreme political polarization between not just, you know, the two parties, here, but also between China and the United States. Nobody wants me to be able to say I am of both worlds. You got to, I mean, so that's a pain in the ass. So when I was in college, a lot of the Asian American students groups wanted to enlist me. You know, they thought, hey, this guy, he, he speaks well. He knows what he's talking about. He's Asian American. And I got really cynical about it. I I found, like, that a lot of them purported to, to be representing, you know, recently arrived uh, Cambodian, Laotian, Filipino immigrants, you know, people from pretty, you know, underprivileged backgrounds. But th- the people themselves who were in leadership positions in these organizations tended to be third generation, second or third generation Chinese, Japanese, or Korean Americans who, you know, whose parents were engineers, you know, and, and you know, they, here they were at UC Berkeley, they lived in, you know, 5,000 square foot houses. And uh, I felt like, it didn't ring authentic it felt like this was a, a, a cobbled together identity for purposes of sort of your advancing your own political prospects so I, I i have a very different take now i think there was a lot more to it uh but that was my unsophisticated take on things back then so i resisted it and i i it's i'm relearning it now it sounds
1: pretty f- sophisticated to me to be honest i mean i think <laughs> well, in, in i, I mean, mean in other words just, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the whole Asian-American culture idea from somebody that comes from the outside, usually, uh, you know, non-Asian person, is this kind of like assumption of Asian-Americans being monolithic and and this sort of treatment that completely, completely overlooks like immigration and uh, class and yeah. socioeconomic standing. And that's such a part of it. Like it's it's so diverse within the the group itself totally
2: and yet i've now understood one really basic thing which is that no matter how diverse we know ourselves to be they are going to treat us like a monolith they are going to treat us the same they're not going to mm-hmm. stop and not throw that rock or hurl that that because they don't know whether you're chinese and therefore a bearer of the virus or japanese or korean or if you're chinese they're not going to know you know are you you know sympathetic to the chinese communist party or are you you know it's like okay so yeah if you're going to treat us all as this category of asian american we've kind of got to own that and
1: mm-hmm. and
2: act accordingly so that's that's where i am you know what uh we got to move on to recommendations i actually have to hop on this thing in in, in 15 minutes uh i was in this documentary film and, and i have to be on a panel uh, post screening so bohan phoenix Allison toy what a an absolute pleasure to speak with you both um uh, Yeah, man. I I love your stuff. You you guys are just doing some great stuff together, uh, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you for taking the time. Let's move on to recommendations. Uh, First, I want to really quickly remind listeners that the Cynica Podcast is powered by SupChina. If you like this podcast and the other fine shows in our network, one way you can really help to keep us going is to subscribe to SupChina's Access Newsletter. For just $88 a year, you get this excellent newsletter delivered to your inbox. You get early ad-free access to this podcast and discounted admission to our major conferences and free admission to our live podcast recordings should we ever be able to hold them again. Lots more. So sign up, show your support. On to recommendations. Allison, why don't you start us off? Give us something that you, you've
1: been into recently. Oh, yeah. This one's easy, oh, you know, good. to speak of the... Uh, non-monolithic Asian-American experience. I gotta shout out and recommend my guys from Asian Not Asian podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, they're two incredible comedians living in New York City who uh, have a great cast of guests, some Asian, some not Asian, believe it or not. Um, and they've got a great little thing going there. Always super entertaining. They get into some really deep talk topics, but they also have a lot of fun doing it. So, big shouts to uh, Fumi and Mike, who man up Asian, not Asian podcast, check them out.
2: That was great. Yeah, no, those guys are funny. Uh, definitely, I endorse that one. Okay, man, Bohan, you are up. What do you got for us?
1: Uh,
0: my recommendation would be J. Chow's, uh album called Eight Dimensions. Oh, cool. Ba Du Kong Jian. That was 2001, I believe. 2001 or 2002. That was the album that I picked up while I was uh, picking out cassettes for my bubu gao to learn english
1: <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> and uh and so if i listen a bubu gao is like a, a like a like a very known it's like the only brand for cassette players in china <laughs> you know like and um so uh the album cover was really cool it had like him half bionic half normal and um i just remember you know bringing it home and listening to it and never heard anything like that before and he was actually the somebody you know that was doing something so ahead of his time uh, in 2001 oh, sure. in china so definitely recommend people check that out uh, that's a great old school recommendation terrific one uh i'm going to recommend an article
2: i just i just Uh, listened to on autumn last night it's in the atlantic i i'm i love this new this app autumn a-u-d-m which you know they have like all the the best stories from the new yorker from the atlantic from the new republic from all these anyway uh i'm kind of addicted to listening to stuff like when i'm puttering around the house and doing dishes or baking bread or whatever but uh this one was called the prophecies of q uh, by Adrian Lafrance from this series that the Atlantic's done called Shadowlands. It's about conspiracy theories in America, and uh, it, it, it's just so weird, man. What what this QAnon stuff is really all about? I mean, it's just so warped and dangerous, and I, I feel like we we really we have to understand it because it's just it's nuts. It's just. I was so mind blown by the fact that it's as big as it is, and it's as complex and sophisticated as it, as it as it is. Yeah, the prophecies of Q in the Atlantic. So check that out. Yeah, the letter Q. You know these like Trumpers who show up at rallies or they used to before COVID with the letter Q on them. Like, who is Q? You know, uh, they have all these weird slogans. Um, okay, so those are my that's my recommendation for the week. Uh, thank you guys once more. Uh, I wanna. And I want to give a special shout-out to William Yuan, who is our intern there in New York. He contributed mightily to this episode. Uh, so thanks a lot, William. Also to Showtime, to Dana Tiago Burton, who is the founder of the Iron Mike Competition. He's been promoting hip-hop in China for decades, and he's a really good guy. And um, he, he, you know, I, I asked him about you, and he told me what a great guy you were. So, uh, All right, guys. Thanks. We'll uh, You have a good night. All right. Thank you. Take care. The Seneca Podcast is powered by SupChina and is a proud part of the Seneca Network. Our show is produced by Kaiser Guo and Jeremy Goldkorn with editing help by Jason McRonald. Drop us an email at Seneca at SupChina.com. follow us on Twitter or on Facebook at, at SubChina News, and make sure to check out all the other podcasts in the expanding Seneca Podcast Network. Watch this space for announcements, watch this space for announcements of new network shows. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.